So we are in an interesting section of Ruth. It's chapter 2, and we've got three different sermons coming up, and, and they're experiencing God's, and then we fill in the blank. And today, we're going to look at experiencing God's providence, the first 10 verses of Ruth chapter 2. I have an Abraham Lincoln story for you. As Abraham Lincoln's country store failed in Illinois, his partner Barry, of all names, right, Barry, Barry asked him, how much longer can we keep this going? And and Lincoln answered, it looks as if our business has just about winked out. Now that's old talk. I think we would say petered out or something like that, but about winked out, you know? I wouldn't mind so much if I could just do what I want to do. And Lincoln said this, I want to study law. If I just had the money to buy one book, it would be Blackstone's commentary on English law. I would do it. About that time, a strange-looking wagon rolled up to the store, and the driver said to Lincoln, I'm trying to move my family out west, and I'm out of money. But I've got a good barrel that I would be glad to sell for 50 cents. Must have been a nice barrel, right? Abraham Lincoln's eyes went along the wagon and he saw the driver's wife and he saw her face. It was thin. It was emaciated. And he felt compassion and he ran his hand into his pocket and he took out, according to him, the last 50 cents I had and said, I reckon I could use a good barrel. All day long that barrel sat on the porch of the country store. And Barry, his partner, did not let him forget it and gave him a hard time all day long. He kept chiding Lincoln about it. Late, thank you, sir. (laughs) Late in the evening, Lincoln walked out and looked at the barrel. And he looked down into the barrel. And he saw something in the bottom of it. And he pulled out a book and stood petrified. It was Blackstone's commentary of English law. And this is what he is purported to have said. I stood there holding the book and looking up toward the heavens. There came a deep impression on me that God has something for me to do. And he was showing me now that I had to get ready for it. Why this miracle otherwise? Interesting story. Of course, we as Christians know it's really not a question, is it? It's a reality, isn't it? What God is doing in our lives and what God has planned for us, even something that appears to be miraculous or something that appears to be mundane, God is working and we know it's a reality. In fact, we know that God's sovereignty and his providence are realities. Now let me define those before we go any further. Some of you lump them together, and that's fine. I tend to separate them just slightly, so stay with me. I'm not a heretic. If you don't agree with me, you can come back next week and try again. It's okay, all right? But God's sovereignty to me, what does that tell me? That God is the rightful ruler of the universe. He is the sovereign. Are you with me? He has the legitimate claim on lordship. God's sovereignty And yet we also have this doctrine called God's providence. And this doctrine tells us that God, it's active, that God does, in fact, rule. You see how they go together? They go together. 
So he is the sovereign. He is uh, Lord. He has the right to rule. He has the claim on lordship. And then because of his providential work, he does, in fact, rule. These are functions of his omnipotence. So I just want you to think about that today as we jump into, into providence. I, I, I've been thinking for a while, how, how can I help define that? And I, it, it dawned on me, perhaps the greatest example of providence that I could find in Scripture is the life of Joseph. You remember Joseph? In, in our Sunday school class, we just, just studied him, and it's amazing. I want you to think about this, not just God is the rightful ruler, but God does in fact work. He does in fact rule. There is providence. Let me describe uh, Joseph's life in a slightly different way. Before I do that, I want to read to you uh, Genesis 50, 20, right towards the end, when Joseph says this to his brothers. You remember his brothers, those rascals? Here's what he said. You planned evil against me. God planned it for good to bring about the present result. And then he defines it. The survival of many people. And of course, we know the story. And that happened with the great famine. So let me tell the story in this way. At just the right moment, Joseph's brothers threw him into a pit. At just the right moment, the Midianites came along. At just the right moment, he was sold to Potiphar. At just the right moment, Potiphar's wife falsely accused him. At just the right moment, he met the baker and the cupbearer in prison. At just the right moment, the cupbearer remembered Joseph. And at just the right moment, Pharaoh called for Joseph. At just the right moment, he was promoted to prime minister. And at just the right moment, Jacob sent his sons into Egypt looking for food. And at just the right moment, the brothers met Joseph. And at just the right moment, Jacob's family moved to Egypt. And at just the right moment, Pharaoh offered them the land of Goshen. At just the right moment, they settled there and prospered. Church, all this happened at just the right moment and just the right way. Have you ever thought about that? Now, that was that's a whole life. That was quick. But think about that for a minute. Why did that happen? So I believe so that the right people could be in the right place so that in the end, everything would come out, guess what? The way God had ordained it to come out in the beginning. God never violated anyone's free will, yet everything happened as he had planned. I know that's a quandary. I know that's hard to understand. But there are two pillars that stand like this. That's providence of God in action. Genesis 50. Romans 8 also speaks to this. Romans 8, 28. And, and, and I like the New American Standard Version because of a certain word it uses. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Isn't that good news? That is good news. Now let me just share something right up front with you. If you're not a believer, if you're not a Christian, a Christ follower, a disciple of Christ, then don't go around saying the preacher said, everything's going to work out for good in my life because there's a condition there. It's for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Now, there's a, there's, that's a pregnant clause there, isn't it? Because what that tells us is that if you say you're a believer, if you say you have this personal relationship with Jesus Christ, guess what? 
You've been called out. Not to do whatever you want, but you have been called out. You, 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 you. You have been called out to do God's purposes. And he has a plan for that. And his providence is there. The big idea today is this. Our extraordinary God works providentially in lives. Let's pray. God, speak to us from your word today. From this narrative, this grand story, remind us that you work in all the details and nothing is insignificant in your eyes and in your work. God, open our hearts, our ears, our minds, our eyes to see and hear what you would say to us today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So let's read the first 10 verses of Luke chapter 2 as we continue the story. You remember where we left off, don't you? It was the time of the barley harvest. And here we go, chapter 2. Now, Naomi had a relative on her husband's side named Boaz. He was a prominent man of noble character from Elimelech's family. Ruth the Moabitess asked Naomi, Will you let me go into, into the fields and gather fallen grain behind someone who allows me to? Naomi answered her, Go ahead, my daughter. So Ruth left and entered the field to gather grain behind the harvesters. She happened to be, she ha see the word happened there? She happened to be in the portion of land belonging to Boaz, who was from Elimelech's family. Later, when Boaz arrived from Bethlehem, he said to the harvesters, the Lord be with you. You might want to underline that. That's an important phrase in the book of Ruth. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they replied. And Boaz asked his servant, who was in charge of the harvester? Asked his servant, who was in charge of the harvesters, whose young woman is this? The servant answered, she is the young Moabite woman who returned with Naomi from the land of Moab. Remember? They had made their choice to leave because of famine and go for close to 11 years. And all the tragedy that happened, all the choices that were made. And now they're commenting on that. And uh, look, what, look what he said. Look what follows that verse 7 where we, are, where we are. She asked, will you let me gather fallen grain among the bundles behind the harvester? She came and has remained from early morning until now except that she rested a little in the shelter. Then Boaz said to Ruth, here it is. Here's the first direct contact here. Then Boaz said to Ruth, listen, my daughter, don't go and gather grain in another field and don't leave this one, but stay here close to my young women. See which field they are harvesting and follow them. Haven't I ordered the young men not to touch you? When you are thirsty, go and drink from the jars the young men have filled. And look what Ruth did, verse 10. She bowed with her face to the ground and said to him, Why are you so kind to notice me, although I am a foreigner? So there's three big points today. The first one I want us to get is in, found it, I think, in verses 1, 2, and 3. And it's this. The Lord directed Ruth to Boaz. The Lord directed Ruth to Boaz. I'm reminded of a quote from Corey Ten Boom. Here it is. There is no panic in heaven. God has no problems, only plans. 
and I like that. God has a plan for this whole story. You guys have read the book. You know what happens. It's amazing. It affects even the lineage leading to Jesus and his birth. And so the Lord directed Ruth to Boaz. Now let me just say uh, three quick things about the doctrine of God's providence. And I think you'll see this. Number one, you may want to jot these down. Number one, God cares about the tiniest details of life. God cares about the tiniest details of life. You see, nothing escapes his notice. He knows when a sparrow falls to the ground. He numbers the hairs on your head. That's a little easier for some of you than others. He sets the day of your birth, the day of your death, and he ordains everything in between those dates. God cares about the tiniest details in your life. Secondly, God uses everything and wastes nothing. We forget this sometimes. And this is tra a tragedy. We forget this as we, this world of, uh, that we live in and all this stuff. Listen, God does not waste anything. He uses everything. You see, there are no accidents with God, only incidents. This includes events that seem to us to be senseless tragedies. Tragedies. Listen, we're not God. We don't have the 30,000-foot view, if you will. We're, we're not the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. We're not the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. God, in his providence, sees all this and knows all this. And even things that seem senseless to us or tragedies, God uses. What came to my mind this morning was the Wisconsin Parade Rampage. You've probably heard about it. God is and will use even that tragedy. Or perhaps you're getting worked up about the Omicron variant. If you don't know what I'm talking about, good. Don't read the news. Just stay away from it. But some of y'all have a PhD already in worrying about that thing. Listen, God uses senseless tragedies or stinking variants for his will and purposes. He has plans. Number three, so we have the tiniest details of life God is interested in. He uses everything. He wastes nothing. And God, his ultimate purpose is to shape his children, believers, to shape his children into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. Sometimes go beyond Romans 8.28 and read Romans 8.29. It talks about that very thing, us being shaped into the image of of Jesus. You see, God often uses difficult moments and human tragedies to accomplish that purpose. Now, let's go back to Ruth for a minute. Were there any difficult moments that we've looked at so far? There been any tragedies? Yeah. First of all, I think they made the mistake to leave the, the promised land and go to a pagan country, and they go there, and the boys marry pagans, and then dad dies, and then the two sons die. You remember, Naomi is so upset that she wants to change her name and be called bitter. All these things are happening. There's tragedies, and yet God has a plan for his people. We see here in these verses, we're introduced to Boaz. The name Boaz means, in him is strength. Interestingly, you remember Ruth's first husband, Malon? He had a name that meant weakling. Do you see any difference there? What a contrast. And we're told here in the scripture that Boaz, twice we're told here, Boaz is related to Naomi on Elimelech's side. That was her husband who died. 
and we find out he is a very prominent, important man. Now, what God is doing here is directing every situation down to the very details. I'll remind you again, God has a plan for his people. Well, some people would say this to me, and I've heard it said, well, Lamar, that will just lead to fatalism, won't it? When I trip and fall down the stairs, I need to stand up and say, thank you, God, that I got that over with. No, no, we need to see the story. We need to see the whole counsel of God. If we keep a biblical balance that I think is represented in Ruth, we find out that, yes, God has a plan down to the very details of life for his people. But on the other hand, God uses something. God uses the decisions of his people to accomplish that plan. Do you see the nuance there? Do you see how that, it's a full circle there. It's not just that he's got it lined out and I just, let me take that breath. Thank you, God, you ordained that. It's not just that because he takes the decisions we made and uses them. How many times has God had to corral you back? Hello? Because of choices you made? And he's got to bring you back. Listen, he works in those things. And I don't wish that on people, but I'm going to tell you, some stuff from my childhood has helped me in my ministry greatly. And some poor decisions that were made, and choices, and difficulties, and tragedies, and things that happened have shaped me to be who I am. What about you? God is working. And he has a plan, and he uses the decisions. And here, in this case, he used a decision made by Ruth and endorsed by Naomi. Verse 2. Please note, it's a story, and it gives us good narrative, that Ruth, what is Ruth doing? Ruth is looking for food. Why would she be looking for food? Listen, there was no social security back in those days. Widows, widows, and we have an older widow and a younger widow. So double widow, if you can do that, I don't know. They're very vulnerable in that society. However, God had a plan. God had provided them with the rule of gleaning. Have you heard of this? The rule of gleaning. A farmer was to leave the edge of his field unharvested to provide for widows, for those who were poor, for foreigners. Okay. By the way, Ruth would be all of those things. So he leaves the edge of his field unharvested to provide for them. So Ruth decides to go looking for some grain, go looking for some barley. Now let me read to you from Leviticus 19. I'm sure all of you opened your Bible this morning and read from Leviticus. Let me see your hands. All of you, right? I mostly only read Leviticus when I'm reading through the Bible. It's that section, right? But 9 and 10 of 19 says this. It's, it's the law of a rule of gleaning. When you reap the harvest of your land, you are not to reap to the very edge of your field or to gather the gleanings of your harvest. You must not strip your vineyard bare or gather its fallen grapes. Leave them for the poor and the foreign resident. I am Yahweh, your God. Just in case you don't, you don't want to agree with that. No, I am Yahweh, your God. There it is. Now, Ruth didn't live on a farm. In fact, back then, people lived within city walls for protection. The scripture even says that Boaz came out from where? Bethlehem. Okay? That's how they did. They lived in the city, but their farmland was located outside the city. Now, we don't have much of that today. I'll never forget, though, on the San Blas Islands of uh, Panama, the indigenous people there 
lived on the island and they would take their dugout canoes and head to the mainland because that's where their crops were. That's where their bananas and whatever else they were growing there. So I actually got to see that in our modern day life. But back then, that's the way it was. They, they live within the city walls, so they, they don't, don't live in the farm. They've got to go out of the walls, and during the day, they go to the farmland located outside the city. So Ruth intended to leave Bethlehem and to look for food in a nearby barley field. Now remember, she is a Moabitess, a foreigner, an outsider. I think that's very significant. If we can just put our presuppositions and baggage away for a minute, even our prejudice, God help us get rid of those things. Of all people, um, a, a widow from Moab? And she goes out. I think it's significant because it shows God can use anyone at any time, any place to fulfill his amazing plan. And as it turned out, in this story here, we find Ruth, she's working in a field that just happens to belong to Boaz. So she's, she, in these verses, she's looking for food. But I want us to see beyond that. Can you see here, and if you know the rest of the story, you'll understand this, that she's not just looking for food, but the Lord intended to give her something far greater. And we forget that sometimes. Listen, you Christian, some Christians are so satisfied with where they are, and the Lord intends to give us far greater things. And I'm not talking about the size of your bank account. Hello? I'm not talking about a Grammy or a platinum record or a Super Bowl title. Please, Lord, let the Broncos someday make the playoffs again just once. It's almost as if I wish we wouldn't have won this. Peyton Manning, where are you? Where are you? Anyway, it's my struggle. God intends to give far greater. And at this point, it's a God moment. In verse 3, look, Ruth thought she just happened to end up in a field owned by Boaz. The word there is happened. But it was no fluke. God was at work. It's his providence. And it's the same for your life and mine. If we had time, we'd share all testimonies around here, but we don't have time. But since I have a microphone, I'll share a little bit of mine. When I was a boy, even in my crazy mixed-up family, I just happened to attend a church. And this church just happened to take me to summer camp where I just happened to hear the good news of Jesus Christ and where I just happened to believe in him. You see where I'm going with this? Let's fast forward years. I just happened to go to Eastern New Mexico University in Portales, New Mexico. Some of you don't even know what I'm talking about. But I just happened to go there, and I just happened to meet a beautiful girl who just happened to accept my proposal to become my wife and life partner. Happened? You see that? Now, I want you to think about your life for a minute. Think about where you were born. Think about the people you've met, the experiences, good or bad, you've known. None of that just happened, Christian. 
I see a few heads nodding. I see a few of you still like, I don't know. It was pretty bad. Listen, it doesn't just happen. How many of you bear scars from life? Look at that. Look, man, we bear scars, don't we? It didn't just happen, just like my life. It's the providence of the Lord at work in every detail. You could say it this way, in every happening. So whatever is happening to you today, fear not. God has a plan and he is working. Now think about this morning. You decided, or you just happened to decide, to come to church today or to watch today. Really? Really? If we believe that God works in our decisions, we see there's much more to it than just a decision to get up, hopefully take a shower, put on some clothes, and come to church. Maybe you came to satisfy a family member today. I don't know. Or maybe you came to meet a friend. Maybe you are searching for something, purpose and meaning. Listen, whatever the reason you had, know this. God uses the decisions of his people to accomplish his plan. And I want to tell you something. He is up to something in your life today. Well, let's move on. Number two. And I apologize. I think you have in your sermon notes a big line there, right? That's my fault. I'm supposed to turn those in with only what is underlined to be the blank. So you have a, not a fill in the blank. You have to fill in a whole phrase. Are you ready? Some of you are like, come on. You already make me fill one word in. Now we've got to do a whole phrase. Well, here it is. The Lord provided, write fast, the Lord provided for Ruth through Boaz. Sorry, you have to write that whole, whole phrase. Verses 4 through 9, we see the Lord provided for Ruth through Boaz. First off, in verse 4, we see that Boaz gave her the assurance, the assurance of the Lord's presence. Don't miss this. This is significant. We just pass over this in the story. You see, this was a man, Boaz, that went to work, and he, how did he greet his workers? He greeted his workers by saying, the Lord, Yahweh, covenantal God, the Lord what? Be with you, exclamation point. This is a godly man. It's a rarity during those times. I think he impacted this new believer, Ruth. And let me ask you this. The Lord be with you. Is God's presence real to you only on Sunday morning at church? Or is he real? Is his presence there? Is he real wherever you go, even at work or at school? Boaz gave her the assurance of the Lord's presence. Well, Ruth's hard work and reputation made an impression on Boaz. Do you see that? She came early. She's working hard. She only took a little break. And doing all that, and it is noticed. And not surprisingly, he responds by giving her something else. So he gives her the assurance of the Lord's presence. Secondly, he gives her, Boaz gave her, a safe place to work. And we see that in verses 5 through 9. Ruth left the house that morning looking for food, but God is at work. And God gives her much more than she anticipated. Do you remember this ser sermon series title? Ordinary Life, Extraordinary God. And he is working. And he is working. A man has come into her life despite her background. Think about her background. She's got three strikes against her. 
But despite her background, he offers to be her provider and protector, even though she is a foreigner. says it again. Boaz gave Ruth the assurance of the Lord's presence and a safe place to work. It's God working in ordinary life. Now, I want to just focus on the last three verses, 8, 9, and 10. And I've entitled this, our third point, Grace at Work. Now, stay with me. Stay with me. I think what we see here is the process of grace at work. We see some things happening here. And if we attribute this to God and his workings, we can see that it is grace. So Boaz, motivated, he's not motivated by duty. He's motivated by compassion. He goes out of his way to meet Ruth, and he meets her at the point of her need. What was her need? Do you remember? Was it, was it to get the MRS degree? Nope. It was what? I'd like to not starve to death. I'd like for my mother-in-law not to starve to death. And so it's out of his compassion that he meets her at the point of her need. Now, that's important to note. In this, he is a foreshadowing of the Lord Jesus in whose genealogical line he and Ruth will stand. Ruth and Boaz will stand in that Matthew chapter 1 genealogy. I just think it's interesting. It's a picture for us to see. And in verse 8, in calling Ruth my daughter, remember she had referred to herself as what? Foreigner. Uh, in calling her my daughter, Boaz removes any doubt that she might have as to whether he would ever recognize her as a kinsperson. Remember? He's related to her roundabout from Elimelech. And in verse 8, we go on to see something. I've got three words that start with a P. The first one is this, permission. He, verse 8, he grants her permission to continue gleaning in his field. And he does something peculiar. He asks her not to go anywhere else. Did you catch that? You just stay right here, right here. Okay, there's permission there. And then in verse 9, the first part of verse 9, we find out that this permission is followed by the promise of personal protection. Young men aren't going to touch you. No one's going to harm you. In fact, you go get to drink the water that they drew up. And then in the last part of verse 9, we see there's the provision of that water. Whenever she needs it. Do you see the process of grace coming here? It's not duty, but it's compassion. And it's, hey, I recognize you. I am a kinsman. And I give you permission to continue to glean, not go anywhere else. I give you the promise of personal protection. And I even give you provision of water. And Ruth, I believe, is overcome by this. And we look at verse 10. It says, she bowed with her face to the ground and said to him, why are you so kind to notice me, although I am a foreigner? There's that word. I think she bows before him and marvels that he, of all people, this prominent, important man, would notice a foreigner. What compassion he is giving and again, we are not wrong to see in this generous, gen, generous provision a picture of the gracious dealings of Christ Jesus with his people, the church. This is just a little picture. 
Do we see the grace of the Lord Jesus in our lives and in his church? It is amazing to see that. Why can we see this picture? Let me remind you of something. Before salvation, regeneration, transformation came to your lives, guess what? You and I were aliens and strangers. That's what Scripture says. We know the gospel, it's good news, but to have good news, you've got to have what? Bad news. And the bad news is that Scripture says we're all sinners and we fall short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. But God had a rescue plan. Here comes the good news. We're here and holy God is here. And how do we get to him? The cross of Jesus is that bridge. And that's the good news. We are alien. We are strangers. We are foreigners. We are not worthy of his love and grace and mercy and salvation. And yet he has a rescue plan for us. And it's Jesus and his shed blood. And we can have a relationship with God. Isn't that amazing? You know what? You ought to tell somebody about that this week. Go ahead. It's that easy. You could draw a little picture if you want. Put the cross there like a bridge. It's awesome. But do that. I want you to think about that for a minute. This is a, just a small picture of the gracious dealings of Christ Jesus with us who were once aliens and strangers. And the answer to her question why me? That's basically what she says. Do you see that? Her question basically is, why, why me? Lies ultimately not even in Boaz's compassion, but it lies in the grace of God, which had planned, God's providence, he had planned to bring an alien widow into, of all things, the royal line of David, of Jesus. Is that amazing to think about? I want to close in just a different way. I want to focus in on one word we've mentioned. It's the word presence. So I hope you'll listen closely. I'm going to give you a few scriptures as we close. Here's a strong statement, and I believe it. You can find some people that have written this, maybe others. I don't know if they would agree with this. But I believe the providence of God requires the presence of God. And I want you to stay with me for a minute. The providence of God requires the presence of God. He's not some old man judge far off in a faraway galaxy not wanting anything to do with his creation. Amen? This world is not a wind-up toy that is just headed to annihilation eventually when the top stops spinning. Now, God is a personal God and he is a God who is present. The problem is we often don't look to see his presence. Amen? And the people that pass by us daily, they're hurrying off to this or that. Don't see that God is present. And in the midst of ordinary life, we have an extraordinary God. And it's his presence. You see, the providence of God requires the presence of God. And here's the phrase, what Boaz said, the Lord be with you. And I say to you today, the Lord be with you. The Lord be with you. The Lord be with you. What if we said that to some stranger this week? They might run from us. That's okay. At least they're going to be thinking, what in the world does that mean? The Lord be with you. We're coming up on Christmas time. And what's the title 
for Jesus that we use oftentimes at Christmas. There are songs written about it. Who can say it? Did I hear Emmanuel? All right. I think this section won. Sorry, you guys were slow. <laughs> Emmanuel what? God is with us. Jot down these verses and listen. I want you to think about the presence of God. Matthew 18, 20. For where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there among them. You think we have two or three gathered in the Lord's name today? Amen. Were you praying with Gregory just a few moments ago? I was. You betcha. I am there. Let's go to the Old Testament. Isaiah 43, 2. Listen to this strong statement. I will be with you when you pass through the waters, when you, when, when you pass through the rivers. They will not overwhelm you. You will not be scorched when you walk through the fire, and the flame will not burn you. Amazing, miracle after miracle. And it starts with this. God says, I will be with you. Joshua 1, 9. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. That's the part we remember about this verse. I'm going to be strong and courageous, but there's more. Be strong and courageous. Don't be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. In Hebrews 13, 5. Your life should be free from the love of money. Be satisfied with what you have, for he himself has said, and the writer of Hebrews quotes in the Old Testament, I will never leave you or forsake you. The presence of God. My prayer has been and is that each of us would look and see the mundane things of life even and see God at work and see the providence of God and see how grace-filled he is and loving and even when we make a decision here he brings us his mercy and his forgiveness he brings us back and it is not an accident that we are here today and it is not an accident that you are watching online today it's not it's God at work and you may say, look at me, I'm just this ordinary person. I, I'm not ever going to be famous, Lamar. You know, I didn't even get to do this or that. Nobody notices me. My project at work, I did the work on it, someone else got the credit. I'm a C-minus student in school. We could go on and on. I can't throw a football very well, etc. If you knew my bank account, you know how insignificant I am. Listen, it's ordinary life. And the creator of the universe, our extraordinary God, works in it. He is sovereign. He has the ability to be the rightful ruler of the universe. He has the ability to be the Lord of lords. And because of his providence, we can see, if we will open our eyes and spend time with him, that he is working. And in fact, he does rule and he does reign, whether we like it or not. So that is my challenge for you this week, to see that and to share that. Let's pray. God, thank you for this wonderful story, this narrative in your Bible, that you have preserved this and provided this for us, and we get just a picture of what you have done in these lives and what you can do in our lives. 
God, we pray that we would respond to you. Right now, I pray, Lord, that people would be still and quiet and be focused on you. God, that we would open our hearts right now. God, speak as only you can speak. Customize your word into our individual hearts and lives right now. And God, help us to respond to you. We indeed are thankful. In Jesus' name we pray.